I spoke with Reuben on the evening of Thursday, October 19th, as he walked around his new home, an army base set up immediately on Saturday, October 7th, in an Israeli school. Until October 7th, Reuben was an engineering student at an Israeli university. That morning, when he woke up to the horror that will redefine Israel, Jewish life, and the Western world, Reuben learned that many of his friends from university had attended the music festival in the desert. He also soon learned that some were missing, some dead, and one, Noah Argamoni, had been torn from her boyfriend's arms and taken, screaming, on a motorcycle into the Gaza Strip by Hamas terrorists. There is lots of video that went viral of her particular kidnapping. Reuben was also called up to serve in his army unit, the Home Front Command, and moved into a temporary base in the south, set up in a school. He speaks to the state of Tel Aviv about the shock, the shock that will likely never pass, just as the shock of the Holocaust has never passed. Reuben serves in the IDF reserves as a home front officer, doing everything from helping to evacuate citizens to safety during the endless missile attacks, working to free people trapped after a missile hits a building, supervising constant flow of funerals to ensure that attendees remain safe. Life has become unrecognizable. A constant stream of gore, ever horrible stories, and the expectation that it will get much worse before anything improves. And like many Israelis, Reuben remains hopeful. Then again, what choice does he have? As then Prime Minister Golda Meir remarked to a fresh faced Senator Biden days before the Yom Kippur War of 1973 broke out Don't worry, Senator Biden, we don't have a choice we have nowhere else to go. Golda had no way of knowing that 50 years on, the fate of the state of Israel would rest in President Biden's hands. And he understood clearly her message. If we are facing annihilation, we will use every means at our disposal to not only survive, but avenge. When Israelis say, never again, they mean it. Indeed, Being cornered does focus the mind and sharpen the motivation. I'm Vivian Berkovich, former Canadian ambassador to Israel, now living in the state of Tel Aviv. Stay with us. Good evening, Ruben. How are you today? Tonight? I'm good. I'm good, Vivian. How are you? I'm okay, thanks. But I'm not on the ground there. I'm halfway around the world. And you're really in the thick of it. So let's just get right into things. You're a young man. I'm going to guess mid-20s. And you've clearly been called to service. What are you doing? What are you doing to help Israeli civilians? So my battalion is part of the home front command of the IDF. Uh, My battalion is made up only of reservists. So everybody that's with me has left somebody behind, has left whether it be a wife and kids or a husband and kids or a mother, or a brother, or a sister, or a partner, girlfriend, boyfriend, to, to come here. And we were actually sitting in a primary school. This is like our base. It's not a real, it's not an army base. It's become a base, unfortunately. And our goal here is to be on standby in, in case of a rugged fire that would 
God forbid, hit a, a building or a house and people would be trapped underneath the rubble. Our job is to, is to be there in that case. That's our principal goal. That's our principal purpose here. Uh, and in the meantime, we, we're also helping around the city in what we can, security-wise and also in terms of the, of the population. We're making sure that, first of all, that the people of the city know that, that the army is here so that they feel safe, they can feel safe, they can feel protected, they feel free to, to walk around in the streets, something that's not been trivial for a lot of citizens, unfortunately, for the last few weeks. It's also important to educate the citizens and to explain to them how to, to act in, in the case of rocket fire, in the case of, God forbid, a, a worse event, which is a terrorist in the city. And we're going around and doing a lot of explanation to people how to act. These are people also that unfortunately don't have bomb shelters in their house. I'm in a neighborhood right now in which most houses don't have bomb shelters built in their houses. They were built many years ago. So we have to explain to them where the nearest bomb shelter is. And in the case that they don't have a bomb shelter or there's no bomb shelter in the vicinity, how would they act in the case of a rocket fire? And I don't want to ask you, of course, your precise location, but can you tell us, are you in the south, the center or the north of Israel? I'm in the south of Israel at the moment. Okay. So you have probably had some very busy and challenging days. When were you called up for duty, Ruben? How long yes. ago? I was called on the first day of the war on Saturday, October 7th. As soon as the events started unfolding, I was immediately getting messages from my unit in the army saying, be prepared, we might be called up. And um, the same evening, it was time to pack the bags and go. And we'll never, none of us will forget Saturday, October 7th, 2023, no, ever. Never. And for all of us, the experience of trying to grasp as more and more horrible details and information filtered out the scope of this incomprehensible savagery you're packing your duffel bag and you're going to wherever you had to report. What did you do for the next 24 hours? So the, the first 24 hours is, first of all, it was like a bit crazy. It was a bit hard to grasp the change. I woke up at home. I had put, I know, For me, it was supposed to be a regular weekend. It was supposed to be a holiday for, for the whole country. And I never expected to find myself sleeping in uniform in a primary school, which turned into a base. But for the first 24 hours, it was crazy. Nobody really understood, first of all, what was going on. Nobody knew. The, the magnitude of the event, that's important to know. And it was those 24 hours of just looking for the word, Ivadaut. Uncertainty. Uncertainty. A lot of uncertainty. And then we just didn't really know what we were going to do, how it was going to work, how long we we're going to be here. So it was a difficult 24 hours. We also were closely following the unfolding news of the horrors that happened the, morning, the same morning. And were still happening, by the way, Saturday evening, even when I arrived here, the horrors were still happening. And so it was a tough first 24 hours. Can you share with us some of the things you've done in the field? I know that you, for example, your unit does so much good work. If there's a building that collapses, you go and assist civilians. If there is a funeral, and unfortunately, Israel has buried far too many people under horrific circumstances, not just the way in which they died, but also continuing to be bombarded with missiles and bombs and to try to conduct funerals in that kind of environment. What are you doing? How are you managing to ensure that families can give their loved ones a dignified burial? First of all, we have to, to pray that families have to pray that, that there won't be a rocket in the middle of their funeral, uh, which has unfortunately happened a lot uh, to too many families. We, we send out teams, first of all, to, uh, 
uh, act as security in the funerals so that the people attending the funeral can also feel safe, which is also not trivial these days. In case of a rocket alert, in case of a siren, mm-hmm. we know where the nearest bomb shelter is in the cemetery. If there isn't, we know where to direct the people. Our job is in case of a, of a rocket alert or a siren, we, we don't want the people to panic and, and go crazy and have a chaos everywhere. We want to direct the people as much as possible so that they can, in an orderly fashion, go into the bomb shelter or go to the area where, where they can lie on the ground and cover them, their heads and be safer. That's our job to, to lower the panic in an event which is already pretty pretty awful in itself. People burying their own loved ones, their own children, their own uh, family members. So we're there to, to try and lessen the, the chaos in the case of a rocket fire or something worse. Did you leave a partner or children at home when you filled up your duffel bag? I have a girlfriend who I, I don't live with at the moment. She went back home to her parents. So in a sense, I, I did leave her. I, I left my parents. My mother has two children in the army. My brother is also in the army. Wow. Even if you don't have a wife and kids, you still leave people behind and people that worry for you. I think it's really important to humanize every single person who's engaged, whatever they're doing to help. What did you do in the last 24 hours, Ruben? What was here? What was today like for you? In the last 24 hours, actually, you asked me on a good day. You asked me on a good day. We was lucky enough to, to go home. They sent me home for 24 hours. Oh, nice. Yeah, they sent me home for 24 hours. They tried to do that as much to, to send the reservists home as much as they can in anticipation that things might get worse in the future and we won't be able to, to send people home. I managed to, to get out for one day, uh, for my birthday, actually, so I could go home and, and Happy celebrate birthday. my birthday. Isn't that lovely? Isn't that lovely? Yeah, I mean, no, it was a good day yesterday, I could say, relatively to, to the last 12 days. Just before we close off, Ruben, I wanted to ask you this. I know that you were friendly with or acquainted with a young woman named Noah, who is among the kidnapped Israelis being held in the Gaza Strip by Hamas. Many of us have seen just the horrific video of her being torn away from her boyfriend and thrown on a motorcycle and screaming as these Hamas terrorists took her into Gaza. You've had some contact with her family, I believe. What can you tell us or share with us about her clearly tragic situation and how her family is doing? I can tell you about the situation. And I, and I also, if you have the time, I, I, I want to share uh, something that might give a little hope to people, a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel, but I'll first share about the situation. Noah Gamani uh, is a girl that I, I study with. I'm, I'm a university student. Okay. And she attends the same university as me. We have many mutual friends. I've seen her physically many times. We've spoken. I, I wouldn't call her my personal friend. And she attended the party with those mutual friends that we have together and her boyfriend also. And she was kidnapped, unfortunately. And I visited the parents about a week ago. Her mother is Chinese. She attempted to find her way into the Chinese media so that the Chinese people would also know about the horrors and the the tragedy that happened to her daughter, as well as everything else that happened around here. So I helped her in reaching those Chinese media outlets so she could get an interview. Mm -hmm. And I visited the house on that same day where she got interviewed. I helped her set up the interview with Zoom. And then it it was very dark. Very, I, I didn't know how to act. I didn't know really where to put myself, what's okay to do. Is it okay to smile? Is it okay to laugh? It's such a somber thing to, to walk into, such a somber event and, and a somber household and everybody there is sad. But the first thing that happened when I walked into the house is I saw Noah's father and he asked me, 
if I knew her and he asked me what I'm doing and I introduced myself and he came in and he gave me a hug. I told him she wasn't my direct friend and he told me there's no such thing. Now you're my friend. Now you're her friend. Now you're everybody's friend. Beautiful. It was a really touching moment. And, and I could also say about the mother that she was, despite the, the situation, she was smiling and she was laughing and she even asked me if I had eaten and, and had something to drink. She cared for me also. You could see that she has hope and she's not giving up on hope which is important in these times for her, for her, for Noah's father, for everybody in the whole country at the moment. Absolutely. And what's interesting, I'm not a psychologist, but we've all had moments of deep trauma in our lives. And I won't even begin to try to compare what I've gone through to her family, but you need people to come to you, not to feel isolated. You need them to do exactly what you did. Go talk to them, talk about their daughter, just help them to feel and loved and supported. And there's no rule book, as we all know, and are learning every day now for how to behave in an incomprehensible situation. Ruben, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us this evening. The listeners to the State of Tel Aviv and Beyond podcast will, I'm sure, be very moved and touched by what you're doing for so many. And thank you on behalf of the West, because Israel is on the front line and you are heroes of course and I, and I think that those in the west also have a, a big part to play in this war unfortunately which is to to fight all the the misinformation and, and all of the the stigmas and all of the fake news and the demonizing of israel i think it's a huge part to play abroad and it's, and it's not easily done either and even those who are not here in israel have a part to play in this war i absolutely agree with and, you i ended up i come to canada often in the summer for long visits I was supposed to have flown back on the 11th of October, and I find myself obviously staying here, and I can be much more useful in terms of support from Canada than if if I'm in Israel, I'm just another civilian needing protection. But I can tell you that as a Canadian Jewish person who was born here, I'm terrified by what I'm seeing on the ground. I'm terrified by the demonstrations, by the overt and violent anti-Semitism, and I'm terrified that my federal government is actually, in many ways, inciting it. It's a very dark time. I think that for all of us, we have to take heart in the fact that we have a country. Yeah. We have Israel. We did not have Israel in the Shoah. That we have America firmly behind us. Germany. Very important. Very important. Right. I mean, I have just been blown away by the resolve commitment of some countries and the really poetic metaphor of Germany and America being those two countries. I can tell you from here, from the ground, to see Biden and the U.S. showing so much support, it it is really powerful and really meaningful to the people here, to to the soldiers, to the reservists, to the civilians at home. It's so powerful and it gives us such a a strong sense of security and and it's really good that's happening. Stay safe. Keep doing the great work you're doing. I look forward Thank to talking you, to you again uh, in a few weeks or months when this is behind us. Have a good night, Ruben. Thank you. Thank you, Vivian. Stay safe, too. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the State of Tel Aviv and Beyond podcast. We'll keep the dispatches coming as frequently as we can. If you like what you're hearing, please take a moment, rate us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you're listening. You can check out our full library of articles and podcasts at our website, stateoftelaviv.com. 
State of Tel Aviv is an independent media venture, and we rely on subscribers to support our work. If you are not yet a paying subscriber, please consider taking the plunge today. Each person really does make a huge difference, especially in these very challenging times in Israel. It is important that you stay informed and current and seek out a range of perspectives. This is a pivotal moment in Israeli history. It is not a time to be passive and disengaged. Thanks for sticking with me to the end. I'm Vivian Berkovich, signing off from deep inside the state of Tel Aviv. Thank you.